and thanks for joining us online. We had a couple of glitches uh, getting online, but we're online right now. So thanks for, for hanging in there with us and, and joining us. And today we're in part three of our series that we've been in for uh, three weeks now called True Riches. And, and in this series, we've been talking about how our financial relationship, how our relationship with our finances affects our heart, how it shapes our heart. And so we've talked about moving from, from one thing to another. Last week, we talked about moving from coveting to contentment. And this week, we're going to talk about moving from anxiety to trust. Imagine logging into your bank account on a Friday afternoon. You're expecting to see... Uh, see your latest direct deposit go into your account and so you log in to check what your balance is and the balance reads 0.00000 whatever. What kind of emotions do you think that would elicit? Yeah, some panic, some anxiety, right? Obviously, losing all of your money would be anxiety-provoking. Losing just a little bit of your money would, would cause significant stress for a lot of people. Do you know most people will avoid the risk of losing $100 even if doing so means forfeiting an equal or even greater chance of winning $100? Psychologists call that, that loss aversion. We, we try to, to minimize our losses, right? Loss aversion, it's driven by our fear of unknown. And that, that, that fear, this anxiety about the, all, the, all of these what-if scenarios, what if this happens and what if that happens, these what-if scenarios, they compel us to stockpile what we have now for those just-in-case moments. Proverbs 2.10 says this, says, Precious treasures are oil, are oil in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Consistent, responsible savings, that, that's at the core of, of faithful financial planning. However, I think sometimes it gets taken a little too far. Sometimes saving money just becomes a, a crutch, something that we lean on too much uh, due to our anxiety about the future. Now, Dave Ramsey would not approve this message, so, okay, I'm just telling you up front. Um, this is not a Dave Ramsey, if you're a Dave Ramsey guy, this is not his, his what he believes in, so... Um, but that's okay. We can disagree about this. But, but we should be responsible in, in our savings, right? But sometimes that becomes a crutch for us to lean on because we worry too much about the future. We have this anxiety, this stress over, over the future. And so we, we, don't, we, we stress about these what-if scenarios that may never happen. And we stockpile and we hoard for ourselves. And if you've ever experienced any anxiety over money, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand about that, but if you've ever experienced anxiety over any money, let me tell you, you're not alone. Money is among the leading causes of stress for most Americans. But why? Why, why do we suffer so much stress and anxiety, especially Christians? I mean, think about it. If you're not a Christian like, and, and you don't have a Christian worldview, you don't believe in a God who will provide for your needs, you don't have a, that kind of faith background, I get why you might stress and worry about it. But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the God of all of the universe, if you are a believer in the God who is a provider for all of our needs, then why do we stress and worry and have so much anxiety as it relates to our finances? I want to make a bold suggestion today that our, our stress and our anxiety as it relates to our finances is more of a faith issue than it is a financial issue. I, I think for many it's a trust issue or rather a lack of trust in God and in His provisions and, and in His promises. Jesus said this, He said, Therefore, don't be anxious about anything. What, don't say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. 
And in Luke 12, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If we believe that we have a good Father and that everything that Jesus taught is true, then our response when anxiety and fear start to bubble up should be one of trust as we remember all, all of the promises and all of the provisions that God has, has come through for us in the past, right? Lear, learning to trust God allows us to find security and satisfaction in God as our provider alone. And it opens the door to an incredible and unmatched joy that, that God offers to, to those who choose to live not only fearlessly, but generously. And while anxiety about money is common in our modern society, it's certainly not anything new. Scripture tells the story of a wealthy young ruler who, who approached Jesus to ask what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And the young ruler, as he's having this conversation with Jesus, he makes sure to point out to Jesus that he has kept all of the commandments. He, he's been the perfect little boy, good little Jewish boy, all the way up in his entire life. He says, I've kept all of the commandments. What, what more do I need to do? And Jesus said, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And Scripture tells us that when the, when the rich young ruler heard Jesus say that, he walked away, and he walked away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus calls all of his followers to, to have open-handed generosity. But did you know this is the only place in Scripture where, where he specifically told someone to give away everything that he owned? This is the only place. In fact, in the next chapter in, in the book of Luke, Jesus announces that salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus, this uh, corrupt tax collector, when he repents and he gives away half of his possessions. So what's the difference? What, what's the difference? Why would Jesus tell one person you've got to give away everything and the other person, you know, you're saved because you gave away half? Well, the difference is, is the rich young ruler, he attempted to find meaning and security in his, in his possessions. And so Christ's specific call on his life was to give up those things, that, those, those things because they were going to continue, they would, were, and they were going to continue to prevent him from fully trusting in God. And don't we all suffer to some extent from those same challenges faced by, by the young ruler? You know, we attend church on Sundays, we get our check mark for the day, we, we say our prayers before meals, we, we might give away a fraction of our income, all while constantly worrying about our finances. E either by stressing over bills that are coming due that we, we may or may not have enough to pay, or, or, or by saving, or, or by vainly attaching our security and, and our self-worth to our possessions and our wealth. I want you to know this today, that the path to freedom from, from that worry, from that stress, from that anxiety, the, the path to that is not through meticulous financial planning, but rather through finding greater trust in God's promises as our provider, both for now and in the future. You know, the Beatles, uh, some of you remember the Beatles, any Beatles fans? A few of you, I figured there'd be more than that. Um, Oh, y'all are going to have to wake up a little bit this morning. Y'all are, like, I, I get it's raining outside and it's hitting the roof and, like, it wants to put everybody to sleep, but y'all are going to have to track with me, all right? The, the Beatles, any, anybody listen to the Beatles? Okay, all right, a few of you. Y'all remember that song that they had, They Can't Buy Me Love? That, that, was, that was their song? Well, there was a country music artist uh, a couple of years ago that came out with another song that was kind of a takeoff that song. It wasn't that money couldn't buy him love, but it could buy a boat. Anybody, Chris Jansen, had this money? Yeah, right. It's a, it's a pretty funny song. It talks about all the things that money can buy. It, it specifically, it can buy a boat and a truck to, to pull it and an ice chest full of beer. That's what he, that's what he wants in life. He, he's playfully mocking the idea that, that money is pointless 
by highlighting that life is pretty good when you can buy a few fun toys. Most of us have learned by now, though, that, that the Beatles and Chris Jansen are, are both right, that money is not the ultimate source of happiness. But it does help to put food on the table and a, a roof over our heads. Unfortunately, though, the expenses don't stop with just food and shelter, do they? I mean, there, there's clothes and utilities and childcare and, and phones and internet and TV and, and travel and Christmas gifts and student loans and credit card debts. The list gets pretty long. And then there's all of the unexpected expenses. I'm not sure that there's a, any less satisfying purchase than having to buy like a, a new washing machine when your washing machine suddenly goes out. I don't know that there's anything less satisfying than having to buy that, right? Making ends meet can be tough, especially when you have those unexpected uh, expenses. You know, the Federal Reserve found that only 46% of Americans... Uh, that, excuse me, that 46% of Americans would not be able to cover a $400 emergency expense, such as having to buy a new washing machine. They wouldn't be able to pay for it with cash savings. Instead, they'd have to pay it off over time or, or borrow the money. It would seem that our financial anxiety, when you look at the, the world that we live in, when you look at the statistics, it, it would be justified. Because for many families, the numbers just don't add up. There, there's not enough coming in as there is going out. Thankfully, we serve a God who does care about our pills. Providing for a family is rarely easy. But despite these challenges, God calls us to find peace in Him rather than, than giving in to the anxiety and the worry that we have about money. Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything in your life. What you will eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear for life's more than food. Life is more than clothes. He, he said all of that. Rick Warren challenges with this. He offers this challenge. He said, do you trust God enough to not worry about your circumstances? I think that's a valid question to ask. Do you trust God to not worry about your circumstances? That, that's a big leap for a lot of people. In fact, I'll say it's a big leap for all people to, to not worry about our current circumstances. He says this, he says, worry is really just a form of idolatry. Because every time that you worry, you're saying it all depends on me. He says every time that you, you worry about whether I'm going to make ends meet this month or not, what you're saying is that, God, I don't trust you to provide for me. I don't trust that you're big enough to handle my problems. It all depends on me. I've got to make this happen. And in essence, worry is the, the, the way that we make our own selves God. He says this, he says, as long as you love anything more than God, that thing or person or item will become a source of anxiety. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that doesn't mean that we can just live however we want, you know, just spend all of our money on frivolous things, end up broke, and then carelessly say, well, God's going to provide, right? No, no, no. God, God intends for us to responsibly utilize the, the resources that he gives us for provision. But here's a hard truth that, that we need to acknowledge. Some people don't have all that they need. Some people don't have all that they need, and, and for many people, it's through no fault of their own. You think about uh, refugees who are fleeing uh, a war-torn country. They don't have all that they need, and it's not their fault, right? It's their government's fault. It's, it's the culture that they live in. You think about children who, who have drug-addicted parents. They don't have all that they need, and it's not their fault. And these are tough issues, for, for, especially for Christians to look at, and they don't have clear answers. Poverty and, and suffering are, are part of our reality of living in this broken and sinful world. And, and these challenges, they may never be fully remedied until, until Christ return. They may never be fully solved on this side of heaven. In the meantime, though, Christ's clear call is for us to trust in Him regardless 
of our circumstances and to set our eyes on Him and what is to come, even as we acknowledge the legitimate struggles that, that we might face and that others face. You know, Time Magazine reported that worrying about finances is the number one cause of sleepless nights in America. And many people worry about monthly expenses. Others worry more about the future, namely savings for retirement. You know, responsible saving is certainly, uh, responsible saving for the future is certainly a wise thing. Uh, but I, again, I'm going to say that I think many people take it too far. Either by allowing uh, these future what-if scenarios, scenarios to cause anxiety or, or by oversaving, in in a, really in an attempt to control their own future. Jesus told a parable about a man that was like that, who wanted to control his own uh, financial future. He, he, so he judiciously plans for his own retirement. And the conclusion that Jesus reaches in, in this parable, it's, it's really kind of startling. Here's what it says. It says, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Financial security had had become the focus. It had become uh, the focus of this rich man's hopes and his ambitions. It it had displaced his relationship with God and it was stunning his ability to be generous. The the parable of the rich fool turns the conventional American wisdom up on its head, right? Because in, in America we would say that this guy was doing everything right. He had stored up. He had saved for retirement. He had built bigger barns to store everything. He was he was on the right track. Even in the church, we tend to honor those who, who, are, who save responsibly and, and build wealth over time. Look, planning for the future is, is certainly wise. But setting our hope and our security and our savings is costly. And it deprives us of the joy of being generous here and now. And it dampens our trust in God as our provider. Because again, we come back to, it, it's me. I've gotta, it's, it's me that's got to provide for myself. Look, God delights in being our provider, meeting both our spiritual and our material needs. But, but with that said, we should not shy away from the millions of people worldwide who face difficult financial struggles. That, that's a, just a reality of our world. Do you know this, that more than 700 million people live in extreme poverty worldwide? Even in the United States, more than 40 million people live in poverty. Nearly 900 million people suffer from hunger worldwide, and more than 9 million people will die from hunger in this year alone. More than 780 million people lack access to clean water, a problem that disproportionately affects children. That's on top of the millions of families who who can be thankful that they have enough food and and water, but they lack the resources for adequate health care and quality education for their children and, and safe living conditions. The book of Deuteronomy says that there will never cease to be poor in the land. This side of heaven, many of us will face regular struggle, financially or otherwise. So so how do we think about God's promises to provide for our needs in light of the many challenges that many people face all around the world? Well, there's a couple of things that I I think we should do. First, we should rejoice that we serve a God who always keeps His promises. We serve a God who, who has never failed, who has never failed to keep His word. Scripture tells us that not one word of all of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All of them came to pass. Elsewhere, we're reminded uh, that God isn't like man, that He would lie. If God says that He will do this, He will do it, right? 
So we rejoice and, and, and serve a God that always keeps his word. Number two is we rest in the fact that God stands alongside us in our suffering. God stands with us in our suffering. The, Isaiah, the prophet, wrote, In all Israel's affliction, he was afflicted. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Paul wrote about the, the God of all comfort, who, who comforts us in our afflictions, in, in our time of need, in our troubles. So, so God doesn't abandon us. In fact, that's what, what Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? That's, that's the promise. So whether we're in good times or in bad times, whether we're, we're on top of the mountain or we're in the valley, God stands with us. He has not abandoned us. Third, we acknowledge that our spiritual needs supersede our material needs. Jesus spoke with the woman at the well and he told her, everyone who drinks from the water from this well, they'll get thirsty again. But everyone who drinks from, from the, the water that I will give them, a, a spring will well up inside of them that will lead to eternal life. Our, our spiritual needs are far greater than our material needs. And I, and I get that sometimes it's hard to accept that. That, that when we're hungry, it's hard, hard to think that, that that need is greater than my need for eternity, right? But it is. And so we, sir, we, we just have to recognize that, that our spiritual needs... Are greater, but here's the thing: the way that we meet many people's spiritual needs is by meeting their physical needs. One of the great things that you know we're talking about affordable Christmas this this week. One of the things that that in doing so we're meeting needs for people, and what it does is it opens up the door for us to to introduce them to a God who cares about their spiritual needs. The, that old saying about you know you you feed a man to fish or you teach a man to 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 fish and he'll eat for the rest of his life, right? That, that's, guess what? He doesn't care about our God until he cares that his belly's full, right? That, that's the reality that we live in. And so if, we're gonna, if, we're gonna, if we believe that our spiritual needs and the spiritual needs of those outside of this building are greater than their physical needs, then we need to start meeting their physical needs. We need to meet their material needs so that we can introduce them to a God who loves them, who wants to provide for their spiritual needs. Finally, we seek Christ-likeness while we suffer and while we serve those who are suffering. James said this, he said, Count it all joy when you suffer because that, that suffering is the testing of your faith and it produces perseverance. We have to avoid judging and condemning those who are suffering, those who are presently suffering. Um, it's easy, I'll, I'll be honest with you, let me be kind of transparent. December is one of my least favorite months of the year to work in a church. I just It is one of my least favorite months because uh, in the next two weeks there will be, we will get calls from all over E-Town, uh, people that will never think about darkening the door of a church, uh, that have no interest in a relationship with God, and they, and they are wanting something. Um, and I just after about the fourth one, it just gets tiring. It gets weird because and it's, it's, it's this idea of that they're not thankful, they're not grateful. But look, that's part of the culture that they've been raised in. And so every December, I have to tell myself when these calls start coming in, look, it, it, it's a culture thing. It's, a, it's, it's, not, it's not just their heart issue. It's a culture issue. It's not just the heart of the, the person that we're dealing with. It's the heart of a culture. And, and so I have to kind of look past that. And, I, and really, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, Adam, you just got to get over yourself. You just got to get over yourself and, and realize that, that there are people who need to be served. And it doesn't matter what their need is. They need to be served. And God has put us here in a position where we can serve and where we can meet those needs. And so I'm just going to tell you that, that we're going to do our best to meet the needs of people when they call. Because 
That's what God's calling us to. And so we gotta, we got to avoid judging them and instead serve them. What did Jesus say to, to, to the people of Israel? He said, if we feed those who are hungry or clothe those who are naked, we've also done it to him. And I would just add this, that when we serve others who are in need, we're the evidence of God's promise to supply his people's needs. When we serve people that are in need, we are the evidence of God's promise. We are his provision that he's making for them. I don't know if you've ever thought about yourself that way, but you are God's provision to someone else. When, you, when someone has a need and you meet that need, you are God's provision for them. Yesterday we had a, a community work day where we went out and did a couple of projects in, in our community. One of them was a, was a family that had, had a trailer that had some underpinning that needed to be installed. Um, I don't. I know nothing about that kind of work, um, but luckily we had a couple of guys that, who were able to do that, and they they knew what to do, and they took care of it. But here's here's the thing. Those, those men that were out there that day, they yesterday they were God's provision for that family because of the work that they did yesterday. That this family is not going to have exorbitant uh, electrical bills, utility bills this winter. Uh, they, they may still need help with their utility bills, but it, they, it won't be as bad because we had people who were willing to go meet the needs of somebody else. They were God's provision. When you meet the needs of other people, those who are needy, you are God's provision for them. Corey Ten Boom wrote this. She said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I've been thinking about that quote a lot over the last couple of weeks. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Rather than, than giving in to anxiety and despair in the midst of our suffering, may we learn to lean on Him all the while acting as His hands and His feet and to, and to supply for people in need. Placing our trust in God, it enables us to push aside uh, all of our own anxiety about our own needs and, and it allows our hearts to be drawn toward God and toward His calling to serve other people. Unfortunately, many, many of us struggle to serve others financially. Charitable giving in America has declined steadily as a, as a percentage of income for the last 50 years. In, in the book, The Paradox of Generosity, the authors determined that less than 3% of Americans give away 10% or more of their income. It compelled them to state that America has a generosity problem. Many people view giving money to the church or other entities as, as a religious obligation, as, as a duty. And while there is a command from God to give, and we shouldn't skirt around that, there is a command from God to give, the word duty or obligation really, I, I think, could not be less of an accurate descriptor for, for God's vision for, for generosity for us. When it comes to generosity, God wants something for us, not from us. I mean, what, what could God possibly need from us? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He, he's the creator of the universe. Everything that we see, he put into place. What could God possibly need from us? God's call for generosity isn't because he wants something from us. It's because he wants something for us. The Bible affirms that we should be generous, not out of religious obligation, but because being generous offers us tremendous joy. This is what Scripture says. It said, one gives freely. The one who gives freely grows all the richer. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched. Whoever sows bountiful will also reap bountiful. God loves a cheerful giver. Look, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our money. He is sovereign, and He will ultimately accomplish His purposes. But at the same time, God has elected to give each of us an important role to play here on earth. I think that we should think of generosity as, as an opportunity given to us by God to, to step alongside of Him in, in the fulfillment of, of His kingdom. 
What plan for, for money, when you think of it in that way, what plan for our money could be any bigger or better than that? That, that we have been given an opportunity to, to work alongside of God in, in His kingdom and our resources that He has blessed us with are an investment in that kingdom. So how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we see our finances as a, as a help to the kingdom of God? Well, it's, we have to move from anxiety to trust. We have to move from anxiety to trust. God knew that, that, that a big roadblock would be money for us in our relationship with Him, in our walk with Him. He knew that. I think that's why there's so many verses about, about money in Scripture. And I would venture to guess that all of us at some point or another have had some anxiety about our money. Anxiety about what-if scenarios, uh, that, that's the most common uh, way that this plays out you know, toward our finances. And it usually plays out in two questions. Uh, the first one is this, what if I don't have enough right now? Anybody ever ask that question? You don't have to raise your hand, but, but we ask that question all the time. What if I don't have enough right now? And then the second one is this, what if I don't have enough for the future? Those fears, I think they stem from a lack in trust uh, in, in trust of God's promises to serve as our provider, meeting our physical needs now and more importantly, meeting our spiritual needs into eternity. And as a, as a result of that, we frequently hoard our resources and we give sparingly in a vain attempt to fulfill our own needs. And that strategy, that strategy is doomed to backfire. It backfired for the rich young ruler. It backfired for the, for the man in the parable that Jesus told the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he wrote, He who loves money will never be satisfied with money. If you love money, it will, you will never have enough. I'm just telling you, it will never satisfy you. So why do we allow ourselves to, to surrender to this temptation? Why do we give in to the fear and anxiety that we, that we have concerning our finances? Why, why do we allow them to compel us to, to adopt a, mind of, a mindset of scarcity instead of abundance? Why are we deceived into embracing a false system for measuring our security, a system based on our net worth rather than our Savior? I'm telling you, when, when you base your self-worth on how much you own, on your, on your bank accounts, on your, on your line of credit, on, on any of those things, I'm telling you, you will always come up deficient. But when your net worth is based on your Savior, when, you're, when your security is and your, your, your value is based in Jesus then you will always have more. You will always be found sufficient. Look, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's certainly nothing wrong with providing a nice life for our families. But for many of us, our bank accounts are getting in the way of our relationship with God, and our relationship with Him must be the top priority. R.J. Foster said it this way. He said, If what we have received as a gift, and if what we have, have is to be cared for by God, and if what we have is available to others, then we will possess freedom from anxiety. This is the inward reality of simplicity. However, if what we have we believe we have gotten, and if what we believe we must hold on to, and if what we have is not available to others, then we will live in anxiety. Did you catch what he said there? He said, as long as we hold on to these things and we believe it's because of our own, own doing, we will always live in anxiety. But when we live open-handedly, when, we are, when the things that God has blessed us with are available to others, we will live in freedom from anxiety. Being generous is a gratitude to, to Christ. And, and when we, we are generous in our gratitude to Christ, it eliminates money's power over us. 
Look, generously sharing with others amplifies our trust in God and it enables us to experience the unmatched joy of participating alongside of God and serving Him in His kingdom. Look, I'm telling you, there's not a greater satisfaction, there's not a greater joy, there's not a greater high than when you are able to work alongside of God in His kingdom and see something good come from that. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than that. Peter encouraged us to cast all our anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Generosity is the method by which we cast all of our anxieties on to to Jesus. Walter Brueggemann said this. He said that generosity is an act of discipleship. He said discipleship is the renunciation of money's anxiety-producing power. Practically, that renunciation is performed as generosity that is free of greed and it has no fear of scarcity. I'm telling you, when we are able to meet the needs of other people because of of generous giving, because of generous living, then all of our needs will be met too. They'll be met. I have full confidence in that. I have full faith in that, that that our our needs will not go unmet as as a people and as a church if we are generous, if we are open-handed with the resources that God has given to us. My prayer for all of us is that we would cast our fears and our anxieties, including those that our, our finances to God, and that we would learn to trust in Him as our provider. And in doing so, may we all experience the unique and the lasting joy that God gives to those who, who serve generously, to those who live generously, to those who make the move from anxiety to trust. So the question this morning is, are we going to live open-handedly? Are we going to say, God, you have given, now we will give away. God, whatever you give, we're going to give away. We're going to be open-handed. And we're, going to, we're not going to worry about, can we pay the bills? We're not going to worry about those things. We're, we're going to be, we're going to be um, responsible. We're going to be responsible. But we're going, to, we're going to be generous. And we're going to meet the needs of people around us. We're going to meet the needs of our community. Because you have given to us to give away. And we're going to move from anxiety and worrying about all of these things to trust. We're going to trust you as our provider because you've not failed, right? That's the Mike. We, we sing a song, and I'm, uh, I'm going to make fun of Mike for a minute. We sing a song that says, God, you have never failed us yet. And Mike hates that. He hates that word yet, right? It's, it's like there's an implication that we're expecting God to fail, but that's not the point of the song. Is that The point of the song is a reminder that, God, you have never failed us. And there's no reason for us to think that you're going to fail us now, right? God has never failed us. And so will we move from anxiety to trust, trusting that God's promises that he made many, many generations ago are still good today? Let me pray for you.